The nail in the coffin! The Nail in the Coffin, episode number 37. Tom Valentino, Travis Uli, recording on Thursday night. Trav, how you feeling, my man? Great. Episode 37, still trucking along. I love it. We are uh, we're officially into silly season now, I think. That, uh, that was what you texted me this afternoon, right? Uh, Absolutely, and it's living up to its billing. Fantastic. You know, we got we, uh, we had a lot of fun talking to Indians last week. Um, I might get into a little bit of Tribe towards the end of this one, but uh, let's be honest, it's a long season with baseball, and I think we'd probably drive ourselves nuts if we were breaking down everything that happened every single week with the Tribe. Yeah, when they're playing six or seven games between shows, there's only, you know, you can't really analyze too much. Got to uh, gotta focus on the big picture. So, yeah. yeah, 162 games is a very big picture. It's a very big picture. You're right. And uh, speaking of uh, big things and, and big pictures, the, the big picture of the NBA, uh, let's get into this. Uh, the big picture of the NBA really shifted this week on uh, Monday, high noon on the 4th of July. Kevin Durant announcing he is going to the Warriors. He was introduced at a press conference today to uh, to make it official. Uh, that I know the free agency period in the NBA really got started a few days before that, but uh, the Durant announcement on Monday kind of sent everything into chaos and really set off a whole chain reaction of a whole lot of other moves. Um, before we get into all those and the ways that uh, they impacted the Cavs, let's uh, let's just talk about the Durant move first off. Uh, what was your reaction when you found out the news? Um, It was, I think I was probably more mild than most. Uh, I was I was a little surprised. I, I sort of assumed all along he was going to go back to OKC, probably on one of those one and one type deals where he can opt out and you know just kind of play it by ear, see how things go. Um, but truth be told, um, it's kind of funny. There is a lot of stuff that came out after the fact, you know, like people digging up tweets from five years ago, which I always find hilarious. But where he, you know, he ripped LeBron and said, you know, I, what happened to wanting to compete against these guys and all this stuff and a lot of stuff he said, he kind of it, it's sort of like a, a full, all-out heel turn basically at this point. So it's, um, I still, I don't know. It's hard to come down too much because the Cavs are, uh, and because of what the Cavs did, it's still exciting, and we're still trying to enjoy that a little bit. But it kind of took a little wind out of the sails. Um, just that you know this team that was already really really good added this guy and it's sort of like I don't know I'm not, I, I heard Barkley call it cheating it's not obviously it's not cheating it's 100% within the rules <laughs> but um, it's kind of like remember when you played uh, like rec ball in like middle school and one team had you know this kid and who's really good and his neighbor who was really good and his cousin who was really good and all these guys, they just found excuses to put them all on the same team as opposed to putting them into the player draft like everyone else. Uh, it sort of feels like that where they're just sort of like cherry picking who they want at this point. I don't know. I mean, the thing for me, I'm, I'm kind of with you in terms of he was well within his rights to do it. I think it's a little lame considering that they were in the mix for Al Horford and probably could have gotten him. 
Oh, it's incredibly lame. There's I mean, no matter what, it's it's a very. I mean, I'm not usually a Stephen A. Smith guy, but he called it a weak move, and there's really no other way to look at it. He's a guy who didn't think he could beat that team, so he went to him. Um, which I don't know. I mean, and I feel like they could have beaten them. I mean, they were oh, right they there, have, and they, they blew it. And they had a chance to go add Horford, which um, I I think Al Horford going to the Celtics is not really going to change their fortunes that much, as much as Boston fans might want to believe otherwise. But for for Oklahoma City, you didn't really need that much more to be different. And that little uh, addition to your front line, that little upgrade right there, could have been the difference. And with the age of their nucleus all the guys that they were building around, they could have gotten over the hump with that team and they could have been very good for a very long time. So I think it's a lot. I know a lot of people, this really was the biggest free agency move in six years since LeBron went down to Miami, I think. And in terms of just like pure shock value, I think. And this was a very different scenario. That Cavs team, yeah, they had won 60 games for the uh, two previous years before he left, but it was a team built around a lot of older guys. I think Oklahoma City had a fairly young nucleus that really was still in their prime and did not need to be dismantled. So, uh, Yeah, and I saw a quote from him today. Uh, you know, Someone said, you know, it, it looks to a lot of people like you're taking a shortcut and you're taking sort of the easy way. And he said, he said uh the quote I saw was, this was the hardest road because I don't know anyone here. I've never lived in this community. I've never played for this team. Uh, okay, if, I guess if that's your logic for a hard road, I know of at least uh, 25 or 26 harder roads. <laughs> um, if, if that's all you were looking, if that's what made it difficult to you as a new community, you could have gone to you know, any new community you want that isn't already you know, one of the two best teams in the league. So I, th- I think he's going to try to sell it as, as some, I'm not even sure he can sell it with a straight face as like a gutsy move from him. There's, there's no, there's no two ways about it. It's, it's, I don't think it's as different from LeBron's thing as a lot of people are making it out to be. Um, but it definitely seems a little different to most, I think. And that's and, and him trying to sell it as anything less than going to the best team because I could um, is I think a bit disingenuous. That's the difference. Like Miami did not eliminate the Cavs the year before LeBron went down there. I mean, Miami was like a middle of the playoff pack team that really put together a whole new uh, core with bringing in LeBron and Bosch. So they were were kind of building something from the ground up. They won the title in 06 and then they were mediocre after that. Three three years they lost in the first round. The other year they uh, didn't even make the playoffs. Um, while Golden State obviously made the finals last year, won the title the year before, um, they're an established, you know, championship contender. Miami was not when LeBron went there. He made them into that. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing is when LeBron went to Miami, he made them into, an, into a contender. Durant is really just going to try to, like, fit himself in. He's not – I don't know. Maybe he will be a leader there, but it's it's hard to really tell how any of those guys are going to take, you know – That'll be from him. that'll be really interesting to see who kind of emerges as the alpha dog in that locker room for Golden State because I, I think Draymond Green has kind of had the reputation as being like the heart and soul of that team, just attitude wise. Uh, Steph Curry has been the best player 
although I think it's kind of telling uh, at least a little bit. It, it kind of makes me scratch my head that they were actively recruiting Durant even before the season was over. It wasn't like this was some idea that, I mean, it sounds like this had been going on for a long time and even still with like the two time MVP, they still felt like they needed to reach out to Durant and bring him in. So uh, you know, you could draw your own conclusions there. I guess the thing that I just keep coming back to that's so crazy about this whole thing with Durant is just how unlikely a set of circumstances, this whole thing, uh, the, the whole circumstances that had to play out to get to this point that would lead to him going to Golden State. Um, if they finish off, if, if the Thunder finishes off the Warriors in the West Finals, I don't think he goes there. Um, if the Cavs don't come back from 3-1 down and the Warriors win their second straight title, I'm not sure they're in quite as big of a hurry to radically reshape their roster. And let's be honest, I mean, they've lost four guys from their team that were in their rotation last year in order to make Durant part of their team. So it's going to be a very different looking team for them next year. And then, you know, even before that, just to get into a scenario where they had the money available. I mean, if Steph Curry's ankles weren't a disaster early on in his career. He's not playing on a contract that's below market value. So that doesn't open up extra money. This Clay whole Thompson's probably well below market value too. He's not the only one, you know? Sure. And, and the, the other thing with that is like this whole uh, enormous jump in the salary cap this year was created by the new TV deal. And when the NBA knew that money was going to be coming in, they made an offer to the players union that they, this concept they called it smoothing the salary cap where they were going to artificially hold down the cap number and and gradually increase it over a few years because they knew that having a giant leap in the salary cap like this was going to create chaos in the league, which is exactly what happened. And the, the, the way that they were going to make that fair to the players was they were going to take all the excess money that the players were owed. That was not going to be applied to the salary cap and just evenly distribute it to every player in the league. Uh, by, you know, a a percentage of their salary or whatever. So um, everybody would have benefited. And instead, the only guys that are benefiting from this now are the ones that had a free agency uh, situation pop up for them this year, or I guess to a lesser degree last year, because there was a bit of a jump last year as well. So um, the players kind of, you know, shooting that proposal down from the league. If that doesn't happen, the Warriors don't have the money to do this. Um, it just, yeah, it's, it's wild. It all came together and, and, and here we are. Yeah. It's kind of funny when you think about it, because a few years ago when they had that holdout and they restructured the CBA, this is pretty much the exact opposite of what they wanted to happen when they put that together. And that's um, exactly why I, I wanted to ask you, like, there's a, a possibility that the CBA, uh, the, the, uh, I think at least the owners of not both sides have the option of opting out of the CBA this year and going into next summer, uh, there could be uh, another lockout going into next season. Do you think that is a realistic possibility now? Absolutely. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's, what goes, what would have to happen for that or if anything else needs to happen um, because we're expecting another huge jump next year in the salary cap. Yeah. Um, but did you see 
Today, they said that the new projection is going to be like $5 million less than what they thought. So it's going to jump, but not quite as much as what they were thinking. Okay, but I think, I mean, they were projecting a pretty huge jump. Yeah, it was supposed um, to go from like $94 million to 108 and now it's going to go from like 94 to like 102 or 103 Rega- I mean, regardless, though, you, you look at it right now, it there's a lot of teams out there and a lot of money being paid to guys um, who, I mean, I mean, they're not worth that much money, obviously. Um, they just happen to become free agents at the right time. Um, but I guess people are saying, some people are saying, you know, this is bad for the league and others say, what do you mean? This brings a ton of attention. It brings a a bunch of popularity. People love this. I don't know if, I don't know if the strong NBA fans, um, really want, you know, there to really only be two or three teams that have any sort of chance of winning. Um, that's, I know. I, I, to- I mean, my team is one of them, and it, it, the Cavs are probably the underdog now. But I, I don't know that I want every team to basically get you know their asses kicked on a nightly basis if they're not Cleveland or Golden State or whoever the case is, and the rest of them duking it out for what? You know, they don't have any chance. Yeah, that's the thing. Like historically, the NBA, it seems like the NBA has operated at its best when it's had. Uh, the power consolidated down to about four or five teams. And at this point now with where we're at, it's really gotten down to just two teams. As far as I'm concerned, unless there's another uh, major blockbuster trade of some sort here uh, in, in the next couple of months before we get to the start of the season, which I guess with Westbrook still dangling out there in Oklahoma city is a possibility. But unless that happens, there's two teams right now that are, Far and away. Nobody is touching the Cavs in the East. There's nobody close because the only teams that were relatively close, uh, I mean, relatively, I mean, wink, wink, I guess, would be like Toronto. And even they lost uh, Biombo, and I think they might have even lost another guy. So um, they're not getting better. Boston, okay, they got Al Horford. That ain't enough to close the gap. I mean, the Cavs wiped the floor with Atlanta. Boston with Al Horford to me looks like are they even better than Atlanta was last year? No, they're not. That's what I'm I was sure. going to say. I, team. I mean, it, Horford had a better supporting cast in Atlanta, and the Cavs wiped them out. So, I, I'm, nobody in the East for the foreseeable future is touching the Cavs, barring something just absolutely uh, catastrophic happening. And really, I'm going to tell you the same thing is going to happen in the West. Nobody's touching the Warriors. I mean, their biggest threat was Oklahoma City, and that's effectively been neutralized now. Um, I don't really think much of the Clippers. I, I know they've got some real name value on their roster, but I'm not buying them. I'm sorry. And, um, I mean, you look at San Antonio, I think they made a nice move getting Pau Gasol, but, I mean, again, it sounds like Tim Duncan's leaning towards retirement. Um, unless they could add somebody, them getting Westbrook would probably that's be. That's what I was just going to ask you. Is yeah, there, if Westbrook's the guy that's going to be on the move, is there any team where you could see getting Russell Westbrook would immediately turn them into contenders? I, I'm with you. I think I think this is maybe where you were going. Mm-hmm. The Spurs are probably only the team where I could see that happening. They're the only team right now that I I'd see as like being one impact player away from getting into the conversation. Also, because he'd actually like I think he'd actually fit 
on that team. Like they they don't have a like a dominant offensive guy. Um, Kawhi kind of took that on last year. He did that because you know he was able to, and they didn't really have anyone else to do it. But um, I don't know what they'd have to do to make that happen. But I think it could um, if if they were a team that was able to get their hands on him. And the thing is, they I know that they don't tend to put send their contracts out for too too long. Anyways, I bet they don't have many you know big contracts killing them. They could probably structure something, even if they knew they even if they weren't positive, they could re-sign Westbrook. They could probably get him for for something, and you know see see if they can make a run, and they could talk him into staying there. Because Tony Parker, I mean, how long can he keep riding him out? Him and uh, Ginobili both, it just, uh, those guys are at the end of the line. I mean, the future for the Spurs is building around LaMarcus Aldridge, Kawhi Leonard, and uh, maybe if you're able to hold on to him, uh, Danny Green, um, which, don't get me wrong, that's a great nucleus, and you're going to win a ton of games, and, and you could go pretty far in the playoffs. You're not beating Golden State. You're not though. beating Golden State, though, with that. That's right. They did just throw a lot at Pagasol, though, so I don't know. Maybe they jump the gun on that a little bit. I don't know. I think they're probably a team that wishes they had some cap space right now. I, I don't think that was a bad move, especially if you're if you're losing Duncan. That's a, a, a good guy to, to kind of, if not entirely, replace what, what Duncan was in his prime. I think at this juncture of Duncan's career, what Powell's got left in the tank is a, an upgrade. So Tim um, Duncan, I mean, he agree that he is one of the two best players of his generation assuming that generation is people drafted from I guess mid 90s right up until the LeBron class yeah I mean I, I would call him the best Tim power Kobe, forward right? ever yeah how much money do you think he made last year oh it's 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 a very uh, modest amount I, I don't know the number under six million dollars Timo Moskov is going to be making sixteen million dollars. It is an, year. it's incredible the <laughs> like the hometown discounts that, that he's given the Spurs. Like Kobe Bryant absolutely crippled the Lakers on his way out of town, and Tim Duncan, the other you know the other top player of that of I think that era, um, played it the exact opposite way his entire career, and he's going to do it again by just kind of. Slipping out the back door and hanging them up, it looks like. Um, that's what, It's pretty much what I always bring up every time I get into the the Bryant, the Kobe Bryant discussion. Is I'd take Tim Duncan over Kobe Bryant every day of the week. And they both ended up with five rings, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess there's uh, more than one way to to get it done, but I, I'm with you on that one. But you know, just getting into some of these other signings, the one that kind of irked me that I think flew under everybody's radar was a couple hours after Durant announced his move on Monday. The first thing that started going through my mind was, all right, well, how does this impact the Cavs? What can the Cavs do? Do the Cavs have any sort of advantages that they can maybe try to exploit? And the one thing that I was kind of feeling good about was the fact that they were going to have to get rid of Azili and Bogut from their front line. And if you remember the finals kind of turned last year, when Bogut, uh, or, or they they turned last month, I should say, when Bogut went down, and they were not able to play really as big. Azili was not as effective, and I'm thinking, all right, they've got kind of a hole there at center, and the Cavs have got some good front line players. 
Um, then they go out like two hours after they get Durant and they got Zaza Pachulia for $2.9 million, which again, this guy is not going to be making the all-star team anytime soon. But if you look at some of the other numbers that uh, similar players were getting, he easily could have gotten 10 million somewhere else. And they got him for less than a third of that and plugged him right in. And then a couple of days later, they went out and got David West, who again, probably won't be seeing big playoff minutes for them and won't be playing for crunch time, but he's a solid post presence. He's a, a respected locker room guy. And he is going to be able to eat up a lot of minutes for them during the regular season. So, and he's desperately hoping that he uh, finally jumped to the right team. <laughs> yeah, the the ultimate ring chaser there. Ed. God, no kidding. Over the last like what four years, probably. Yeah, three or four years, something like that. But yeah, he's just. I don't know. He. It's weird because they're they're in the position they're in basically because they're paying their stars well under market value, like you said. And somehow that has allowed them to pay everyone <laughs> under market value, except for Durant, obviously. Well, that's the thing. So after this year coming up, next summer, Durant is going to be able to get a max contract. Uh, Steph Curry is going to be able to get a max contract, which he absolutely will. And Igor Dalla is going to be up for a new contract. And when the salary cap was projected to be $108 million, the thinking was they were going to be able to max out those two guys and still take care of Iguodala. And now what people were saying today was it's if that 102, 103 number holds, that's probably going to cost them Iguodala. So how much are they going to, are they going to be able to fully max? Well, I guess Durant's already pretty close to maxed out. Yeah. The um, number he's getting this year is like, I think, what is it? 27 million or something. Yeah. Well, I want to say it was just a shade under 26, but He's not going to get – they don't have bird rights for him now, right? So they can't give him – they won't be able to give him that fifth year still? Yeah, I, I always get confused that on that. I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like bird rights basically have to be traded. You can't get bird rights from signing a guy to a free agent, I think. Well, I think that was what the whole thing was with LeBron and what's kind of impacted what the Cavs have been able to give him the past couple of years and what it's going to be able to give them – or what they're going to be able to give him again this summer. So – yeah, I don't know the particulars. I just know that that was the immediate reaction when when the cap gurus around the league saw that new projected figure for next year and the, the panic that was already setting in. So that that you know, just it's a long way of getting around to it. Like my my whole point was, you said it kind of took the wind out of your sails a little bit when in regards to the Cavs. Nothing for me is going to take away what they were able to accomplish this past year and. It was it was still the most incredible comeback ever in a finals. LeBron's performance was a pantheon, all time, once in a lifetime, uh, last three games, and and it was all amazing. And nothing's ever going to touch that. And the other thing is, like honestly, you know, you get this Cavs team, you keep the nucleus together, and you know they got a couple of more loose ends they still need to tie up. They got to make sure they can bring Jr. back in. I think that's kind of the biggest one that's still. Uh, twisting in the wind out there a little bit, but you bring the whole nucleus back. You give them an entire training camp with Ty Lu actually getting to coach him and not having to take over in the middle of the year when they're playing games every other day. Um, and the pressure is going to be off of them. I think the Cavs are going to be in a really good place and uh, to to go out and do some great things this year. Because um, you know, like we were saying earlier, there's really no threat in the East, so they're not going to be under any kind of pressure there. Um, 
And I think in terms of a defending champion returning basically its entire lineup or, or the vast majority of it, of its lineup and, and really its entire uh, core unit all for the following season, I can't remember a team that's ever had less pressure on them now. Uh, a oh, defending yeah, no champ. Yeah. That's all, completely all off of them. The bullseye, you, you, you always get that, like, all oh, the defending champs are in town. We got to, you know, fans of other teams want to see you give them your best shot. And I, I mean, you're going to get some of that with the Cavs, but I, I still think the Warriors are going to be the traveling circus this year more than anybody. So, yeah, they'll still get a lot of attention when they come to town. Maybe not quite as much as the Warriors, but I think it's going to be more of the same as far as, um, media coverage and whatnot goes i mean sure. this year it was it was there wasn't much talk about the chasm obviously let's be honest the, the way that the warriors played the regular season they deserve the coverage you win 73 games people should be talking about you that's fine um, but i th- yeah but i think it caught up to them honestly and i think they probably bought into it a little more than they should have um and the Cavs, like they did this year they can kind of play that underdog card again which is pretty pretty rare when you have the you know most uh the best player in the league and you're the reigning champ it's a good spot to be in it's it, it's not uh it's not doomsday not at all and you know the other thing if you look at the the two most recent super teams that were kind of formed um kind of like what golden state's going to be trying to to do this year with bringing in a, a another big gun with durant i mean it was the Cavs when they assembled lebron and kevin love here and before that, it was really Miami with LeBron and, and Bosch joining Wade down in Miami. And in both instances there, it took them until their second season to figure it out. I mean, they, they are obviously very successful. And it's entirely possible that Golden State gets everything to fall into place in year one. I mean, I know the Celtics did it when they brought in uh, Garnett and uh, and Ray Allen. Ray Allen and yeah. it worked out for them in year one. But, I mean, th- it, there have been many instances where teams have kind of had to go through a real adjustment period and, and go, go through some growing pains a little bit. And I wouldn't be totally stunned. I'm not waving the white flag on, on a successful title defense for the Cavs next year, just because Kevin Durant's going to the Warriors. It's going to be tough, but sure. Yeah. It definitely makes the road a little tougher, I think. But I mean, yeah, I mean, look at the way that they've, that the Warriors have always played. Um, they've sort of had a pretty clear pecking order of, of how they're, especially how their offense should go. Um, and that just became a little more complicated because you're going to have to take some of those shots away from clay and stuff. If you're going to give them to Durant, cause I think he's replacing uh, a guy. I mean, if, if you say that he's replacing essentially Harrison Barnes, Harrison Barnes did not take that many shots. Um, he took open shots and he got, cause he got them, but they're going to have to, I mean, it's not easy to just plug a guy in. Yes, he's incredibly talented, and they pro- they absolutely make the right decision for them as a team um, by bringing him in. They're not better without him, but it's not as, as seamless a transition, I think, as a lot of people make it out to be. Now, by the end of the season, it, that may not matter. They may have all that figured out, but um, let's, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit on already crowning him, I think. Yeah. I'm we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, Hey, in the meantime, I'll say this, I'll go say ahead. This. either way, if, if we're playing, um, if we do end up playing golden state, uh, Steph Curry's still going to have to guard Kyrie Irving and <laughs> Kevin Durant's going to have to match up with LeBron. And 
those, both of those matchups have proved rather favorable. So, like you said, let's not wave the white flag quite yet. Yeah, I hope Steph brings his uh, his roller skates again because Kyrie's ready to send him uh, rolling right along there. Um, exactly. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy because we're sort of assuming that the Cavs won't get better. Not you and I, but in general, people saying, you know, oh, Golden State's just give them the title. Some people are saying just give them the, gold, the title now, but um, Cavs will have a third season and or a third season under their belt. And I think these playoffs went a long way in solidifying, you know, the way that they want to play as well. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Uh-oh. I'm, I got the tribe on in the background here. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Ninth inning. Uh, whoop, whoop, they held him at third. All right. Yep. Held him up. Thought so, it, you thought with Ellsbury he was going to be able to get around on that, but no, hit it in the gap pretty well. Yeah, I guess not. So got to try Good. to escape the gym there. Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, it was funny you mentioned uh, to to kind of start this whole discussion. Um, Durant making the the heel turn. Did you see the video that was kind of making the rounds earlier this week with uh, with Durant? And uh, him joining the Warriors, uh, superimposed with all their faces, all the key players in that uh, being superimposed with the the clip from uh, WWE with the the shield breaking up and Seth Rollins stabbing uh, his two guys in the back. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic heel turn. I think I I don't know about you, I find nothing more awesome than a good heel turn. I'm still I'm I'm I don't really watch WWE anymore, but I'm gonna be sad. It, it'll never happen at this point, unfortunately, but I'm still, I guess, holding with bated breath for uh, the John Cena heel turn that is never going to come. But if it did, it would be amazing. It would be. I, I would not hold your breath for that. But, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just the reason I bring all that up was because I was as I was driving into work this morning, I was listening to uh, the ringers wrestling podcast with David Shoemaker. And um, if you have any interest at all in wrestling, it's a fantastic listen every week. It's part of the the Ringers Channel 33 podcast lineup. They have a different show on that feed pretty much every day. And I think like either Tuesday or Wednesday of every week, they always put on the wrestling one. And he was just kind of talking about how um, that you know, that's not the first time that that clip has been used to kind of illustrate um, a big happening somewhere else in, in sports and, and how it's kind of awesome that pro wrestling has gotten this like weird little niche um, for uh, being like the, the cultural equivalent or whatever to tie in with a big sports moment like that, because it's, it's either the shield turning or it's uh, Shawn Michaels throwing Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window from um, back in the nineties or uh, it's the the NWO um, forming, which is probably the turn of all turns. I that think. yeah, that that is the 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 great one. And fun thing with that, actually, I was going to save this for the end, but um, do you know today, as we record this, it is the twentieth year anniversary, twentieth anniversary of the uh, the formation of the NWO. And as we look at all of these um, pop culture. Uh, instances where these uh, wrestling clips are, are coming into life. The first instance of that where I think it really started becoming a thing was six years ago when LeBron went, went down to Miami for the decision and 
people, I don't know who did it, who created the original clip, but I sent it to you today. Was that the first time you had seen it? I, I believe so. I mean, I may have stumbled across it at some point. I don't remember it. Um, but back when the decision first happened, I was not, I, I took a few weeks off. I was not in a comedic mood um, for, for those types of things. I was not taking those very, very well. So I don't, I don't know that I saw it back then, but it is pretty funny. It's pretty fantastically done, I think. So um, for those who haven't seen it or maybe have forgotten about it, the, the way the clip works is it's the, the footage of Hogan um, turning his back on WCW and dropping the, the big leg, I think on the macho man and sting yep. gets beat up on the outside. Well, they've cut the clip so that it's LeBron dropping the big leg on Moondog. And then I think like, <laughs> um, I think who is it? Like Bo Williams and Delonte West getting beaten up on the outside. And then Dan Gilbert's the role of mean gene, and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch are like Hall and Nash, and uh, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. So it is a classic. It was funny because after you sent it to me, I saw that today was the 20th anniversary. I was like, that's really random, but um, yeah, the Bash at the Beach of 1996, the the uh, the elusive third man comes down. <laughs> like, yeah, how great! God, it was so good. It's kind of funny thinking back how much we enjoyed that stuff back then. I know. Um, although it was so much better back then than it is now. So it is, I, but that's the thing though. Like wrestling has still got this like weird um, sort of odd pop cult. Even their the ratings are down, I think across the board. Like it's still got this um, hipster appeal almost a little bit. Like you look at what the Cavs did throughout the playoffs. Um, when, when they turned around the finals, it was after the Warriors started talking a bunch of shit after game four and LeBron showed up at practice wearing a shirt from homage that was the undertaker. And then when he got off the plane after the finals were over, the greatest troll move of all time, he gets off the plane holding the trophy, wearing a shirt with the ultimate warrior and in the locker room after the game seven was over, Kevin loves wearing Austin three sixteen double fisting beers with, um, with a, a championship belt over yep. his shoulder. Yep. And then the you know, WWE actually sent the Cavs like a custom belt with, um, with the Cavs logo, Cavs on logos yep, on, on them, which that's become like a thing. I don't know if it's like a triple H thing. Cause he's always the guy that tweets it out or whatever when, when they do it. But like anytime a pro sports team in the last couple of years has won a title, they get a belt. They get a belt, which I got to tell you is the cool. greatest, most genius marketing move WWE has ever come up with. Yep, because you know that thing is going to be sitting somewhere prominently featured. Somebody on the team is going to want to celebrate it. I mean, Kevin Love was wearing it around wearing at, it the, at parade the parade a couple days yep. later, and and it's making the rounds on social, and it's it, you know putting a, a a cool championship title belt in front of people who probably wouldn't otherwise be watching. So. Yep. Whoever thought to start doing that in WWE's office deserves a gigantic raise because that's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. No question. No question. It's cool. It's uh, it's weird. I think you're right. It is one of those things that kind of like, I don't know. It was it was incredibly mainstream when we were growing up. Um, it started sort of, I think when we were really young, it was probably sort of like it is now. It was kind of, you know, there were certain kids were into it and, and the kids that were into it were very into it, but by the time I was in like middle school and high school, when you had Austin and the rock and stuff, it was like huge. Everyone watched Monday night raw and the the Monday night wars that were going on and all that stuff. It's kind of funny to think of how it, the attitude era 
took it to such a whole nother level and they kind of tone it down for a while and it's sort of where it is now. Um, but man, those were some good years. <laughs> every once in a while, I'll still go back. I still watch a couple videos on YouTube every once in a while. I'll just sit down and, you know, pull them up and watch, you know, rock cut a promo or some shit like that. And it's, it's funny looking back on how entertaining that stuff still is. Cause it's so like hokey and cheesy, but. Some of the, that has aged better than, than other parts. The one guy that really has kind of that um, appeal now, I, I mean, I guess The Rock, but he's so rarely involved. Any The one guy that I would think that still has, um, who participates a little bit more frequently, uh, although I guess not much, is the, the guy that we talked about on here back in February is uh, Brock Lesnar. And, you know, he's going to have his next match. They announced, and they're announcing tonight on TV that he's going to be wrestling in SummerSlam next month and they're going to announce his opponent tonight and I think it's going to be Randy Orton spoiler alert um but uh before Lesnar gets to that you know you're talking crossover appeal for wrestling into the mainstream Lesnar's going to be on the UFC card this weekend fighting uh Mark Hunt and um I, I just I never would have imagined a scenario where a guy who's actively being paid and to perform for WWE is going to go compete on UFC's pay-per-view number 200. So just, uh, and now that, um, you know, we texted a little bit about earlier today that, uh, John Jones got popped for the, uh, the PEDs there again, uh, Lesnar's match is going to be the, the, the main event. So just wild that uh, a guy who's really now a WWE superstar again is uh, main eventing the biggest UFC pay-per-view ever. I think it kind of shows how, um, I don't want to say badly, but how WWE hasn't really developed that that huge star, I don't think, of this generation. They've tried to force a few on us. Um, <clears throat> Roman Reigns. Roman, yeah, yeah, subtle there. <laughs> um <laughs> But I mean, they, they have these guys that are always trying to find the next guy. And I mean, there's Cena who just isn't, he's not, a, he's kind of 50 50. He's not, he's lost some of his pop. He'll still uh, appeal to like the younger generation, but like adults don't really care. He, he's not that interesting to them anymore. So they really need to keep every like big name guy they can. So while in the past, if, if you know, if a guy, wanted to go do something like MMA as part of his contract, they'd be like, screw you. We'll just get someone else to take your spot. We, we got a stable full of guys that can come in and fill that role. They don't have that now. They don't, they can't be as, you know, as selective as they used to be. They have to take those guys that they know will, you know, keep people tuning in every once in a while. I think they feel like they got burned by Lesnar the first time because they put so much effort into making him the, the guy. And then right when he kind of hit his peak, he walked away and, and used all that popularity to go make a name for himself. He tried football and then really had success and, and won the belt in UFC. And uh, I think they kind of had that philosophy with nobody's ever going to be bigger than the brand here anymore. And it, it's kind of led them to half-ass it. I don't know if that's right, the, the right word, but it it's kind of changed the way they've tried to position their top guy where it's like, this is our champ. This is the face of our company, but you're still, you're buying a ticket to see the WWE brand above all else. And I think it's kind of, 
created some diminishing returns for them. Yeah, I'm not sure that, that I'm not sure that that works because uh, it's never really been that way. No. no one's ever just no one's ever just bought. Oh, I'm just gonna watch. You know, I'm gonna watch this because it's WWE and I don't care who's wrestling. Even if you didn't know a guy was wrestling, you were still watching to hope that he was wrestling. You know, there's a handful of guys that when I mean when we were like our high school age, I'll always go back to the Attitude Era because I think that was as good as it got. But um, if you didn't see, you know, The Rock or Austin or DX on a Monday Night Raw, you were kind of like pissed off about it. You're like, well. I just sat there for two hours. Yeah. Those are the guys I wanted to see. You know, I didn't want to see a fucking divas match or whatever the hell they rolled out there. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's always been built on that star power, and and they've continuously, they've always kind of gotten burned. I mean, The Rock went off to Hollywood. Hogan left and went to WCW because he could make more money. Um, that's just kind of always been the way that it goes. I'm not sure why they would think that, you know, they're going to be able to reinvent the wheel there, but you might be right. And it sort of does feel that way. I think they're trying to appeal to people, but I think they're losing viewers that way. Probably. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting time for the company. I know. Um, I think it's uh, in a week and a half there that SmackDown's going to be moving to Tuesday nights and it's going to be live. And they announced that they're going to be splitting up uh, their roster into two separate rosters. Oh, they're trying again. that again, huh? Yeah. They're, they're going with the brand split. So now they want to make, Raw one show on Monday and uh, SmackDown a completely separate show with separate people on Tuesdays and um, is I, it going to be like is it going to be co- like completely separate storylines? Yeah, that's the plan. That's sort of weird. How's that going to work with pay per views? Well, that's the other thing is like now because it's on the network and you don't have to spend fifty five dollars for a pay per view. They're going to. The rumor is they're going to have one pay per view every month for each brand. So there's going to be like twenty pay per views a year. Holy crap! Are uh, they going to try to do it like last time, where they spread the stars out? Or are they going to make? No, that's that. They. I think they want to make it fifty fifty. The whole thing, from what I've read, and this is kind of getting into a little bit. They don't inside. have enough good. They don't have enough good guys for one episode. How are they going to spread them out? Across I I know, but the the whole thing. I don't think this is up to them. And, and kind of getting a little inside baseball here is if. You look at just USA Network has um, really kind of struggled. They've they've not really had the success with some of their other non WWE shows over the last hey, couple of years. Hey, I watch Suits religiously. It's fantastic television. That's Tune fine, in. but you Tune you in. need about four more of those um, to pull the plow, and and they don't have it right now. So WWE is the one thing that's kind of artificially inflating USA's ratings. So they're basically going to ride that train into the ground, putting as much WWE on as they possibly can. That's why you've got Raw going three hours on Monday, and then SmackDown got moved from the Sci-Fi Channel over to USA, and now it's going from uh, you know Fridays to Thursdays to now Tuesdays, and it's going to be live because they know live shows draw better than taped shows. So they're, they're, I don't think if WWE had their way, they would necessarily be having to give away five hours of live TV on basic cable every single week, but that's kind of where they're at. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I don't watch that often anymore. I don't either, to be honest with you. I kind of just follow it passively. And, um, the weird thing is like, I'll listen to that ringer podcast I mentioned earlier. And it's, it's more interesting to me to just listen to those guys talking about wrestling than actually watching the shows themselves. It's kind of funny when I turn it on though. Like I see stuff like, I didn't realize these things were getting popular, you know, like uh, that 
the New Day. Oh yeah, those three guys. The first time I saw them, I'm like, oh, these clowns. And then <laughs> the crowd loved them. They're like, they're very over, or they were at least at the time. Yeah, they were. Um, uh, they were fun when I went to the the pay per view in, in uh, February. They're, they're yeah, a good time. it's kind of crazy. What's you know, yeah. What what the cycle, I guess, of who's popular and who's not. Um, all I can tell is that uh, Roman Reigns, what is he? He's suspended now, but yeah. So that's the other thing you want to talk about how the uh, the whole thing of like the crossover between the wrestling world and the in the sports world. You know, UFC's card got thrown into disarray with uh, Jones getting suspended for PEDs. Well, Roman Reigns got suspended when he was the the WWE champ and ended up dropping the belt on their last pay-per-view a couple weeks ago. And allegedly he's going to still be in the main event of the next one here in a few weeks when he comes back from his suspension. But uh, that's another one. So like, I don't know so how did he have to, did they know that he tested positive? So then he had to go wrestle, lose the belt and then get suspended. The word I heard, I don't know if he knew it, but I, I think the company knew it. And I think he was informed the day after. I don't know that for a fact, but I, I think that was, the, the, the word on the street, um, honest to God, it might've been the best thing for him just in terms of the fact that by all, uh, all metrics in terms of like how well they're drawing on TV and their live shows, like the gates when, when he's been the, uh, the marquee attraction has not been going well. So kind of taking the pressure off and letting him disappear for a month, probably not the worst thing in the world, but so who is it now? Like who's, I mean, obviously Lesnar when he's around, which is rarely, but who else? Oh, I, I'm well, not even, I'm not even up on it. So educate well, me. Dean Ambrose, the, uh, one of the guys that reigns yeah, or, uh, in the, uh, the shield there, uh, from a couple years ago, he, uh, ended up becoming the champ now. So, and, uh, I don't think that's going to last for long. The shield. What's ahead. Who's the other guy in the shield. Rollins. Rollins, he, uh, he's still big too. Yeah. So okay. the rumor is if, if everything goes according to plan, the next big pay-per-view that they have at the end of this month is those three guys are finally going to have a, a three-way match for the title, which has been like one of these long rumored uh, seem to be close to happening a few times. And they had to keep pulling the plug because guys got hurt or whatever, but allegedly yeah. they're finally going through with it. But huh. you know, SummerSlam is like their second biggest show of the year and right. that's coming up in August. And you know, because their title picture is kind of in disarray right now, they're selling it around Brock Lesnar. So it's happening in UFC and then it's happening uh, next Man, month in everywhere. WWE as well. It is kind of crazy that he was able like the things that he's been able to get WWE, like the concessions he's been able to get, like where he can wear the sponsors on his shorts and everything like that. Like pretty crazy. Um, Cause I mean, that's no one's ever gotten that stuff. before. Nope. And if you ever um, listen to CM Punk, that was one of his major sticking points was he brought that idea to WWE and had the deal in place. He didn't name the company, but he had somebody that was ready to sponsor him. And all he needed was WWE to just say, okay. And they said no. And basically took money out of his pockets. And he was very bitter about that. And he, I mean, he's they're and, probably, and now he's going to UFC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was probably a mistake on their part. You look at, he was, I mean, he was a big draw. Um, they haven't really filled his shoes since then. Nope. He was my uh, favorite guy when he was there. Oh and, yeah. I liked him a lot. And uh, just coincidentally, you know, he, he signed with UFC and has had a bunch of injuries and setbacks. He's finally going to have his first fight in September uh, for UFC. 
here in Cleveland. Yeah, with the, the Stipe one, isn't it? Yes. Yes. That should be interesting. I know. We, we might have to try to find a way to get into that. I, yeah, I, no kidding. I, I would kind of want to check that out. So. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, You're watching these, where I know we're about to finish up. I was just thinking as I'm watching these guys against Chapman, um, watching guys bad against a guy that throws this hard, like they're all getting down like 01, 02, because they just go up there and they're swinging at everything right away because it comes at them so quick. Is it just me or is that like the three at bats? I mean, they've gotten, Napoli got walked. Um, Ramirez got a hit. Raji Davis lined out just now, but watching these guys try to hit him is not like watching anyone else try to hit. I'd be sure I'd be scared shitless standing in the box against the guy that could throw a hundred miles an hour. So yeah, if they could put it in play, I don't really care how they do it. I, I'll, yeah. I'll tip my hat. So they're, they don't look like good at bats. Like they're hacking at everything. And, and I mean, Ramirez had a nice hit, so I can't, I can't knock it, but, and the guys they got guys on first and second, you know, so they're, they're doing okay. It's just, God, watching them swing at everything. I can't believe it. But I guess, yeah, like you said, when it's coming at you that fast, you gotta, you're gonna lose a little bit of your judgment, I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, but there I'm, was one more thing I did want to bring up before we get out of here, as we are kind of in this uh, silly season here of bringing up things that are kind of uh, drifting out of the world of traditional sports and into the entertainment realm. Um, did you see? The story that appeared in this week's Sports Illustrated, the oral history of the American Gladiators. <laughs> no, I did not. Were Why you into you the American Gladiators? Yes. Oh, my God. I, I read it last night. I will link to it on our uh, on our Facebook page um, for the show here. Uh, it It is absolutely fantastic. They, they got a bunch of the Gladiators. They got Mike Adamley. Um, and uh, the the creator of the show, and they talked about how they were able to get the thing off the ground and just everything that went into putting together those early seasons. And it was it was really entertaining. And I wish it could have been got there, got there. Hey, all right. Hey, hey now, did they score him? No. Did he hold? Oh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> Watching the uh, watching the end of the Indians game here. Yeah, Apologize Nick wouldn't beating that out at first, but um, no, this this oral history, they got so many people to talk for it. Honest to God, I wish that story would have been about three times as long as it was because it was so fun. Um, just reading about all those events, I was so into that show. I watched it when it would air originally in syndication on Friday nights on Fox nineteen. Uh, it aired uh, reruns on USA Networks. Uh, USA Network. I remember uh, weekday mornings when I was on summer vacation, watching like back-to-back episodes there. And then uh, ESPN Classic had it for a while, and I don't even think that channel exists anymore. So, um, what was your yeah. uh, what was your favorite event on American Gladiators? Oh, the one with the guns. <laughs> the ones where they stood up top, and you had to get through, and they just handed the assault. You, like, yeah, loved it. That. Loved uh, it. I don't want to give the whole article away, but that was one of the events that um, convinced the the company that backed this that they might actually have a worthwhile show because they were no looking kidding. at some of the other events and thought they were kind of hokey and stupid. And they saw that one, and they were like, yeah, you might actually have something here. Go with it. So, That's pretty funny. I also I, uh, like I, the one with uh, where they were in like the cage ball thing. The atmosphere? Where yeah. To, yeah, where they had to just like slam into each other. Yep. Oh, God, what a great show. That was I know fantastic. they tried to bring it back not that long, a few years ago. 
they it didn't did really work, but it was horrendous. And again, I'm I'm giving away some of the article here. I guess none of the people that were involved with the original um, had anything to do with the new one, and they were super pissed off because they wanted to be. And NBC basically told them, "No thanks, we're going to do this better than you." And they completely botched it. And all the people from the original one basically cheered their demise because they were so pissed that uh, they didn't get a chance. And I guess now the people that were involved in the original one are trying to do another reboot um, that's actually closer to the original. So I don't know if that'll ever get off the ground, but if we get Powerball on my TV again, um, I will be over the moon excited because that would just make my day. Who was your favorite gladiator? Oh boy. Um, mm. It's Nitro. There's no question. It's Nitro. <laughs> Nitro is awesome. Is. He was the bad Let's boy. Just call it what it is. Uh, Gemini was always pretty awesome, too. Okay. He All was right. a former, I think he, he played for the Patriots, which I didn't know at the time when I was little. Yeah, no, okay. Me neither. He was, uh, he was always legit. Nice. That's um, funny. I'm going to have to find that tomorrow and read that. Oh, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll uh, send it to you and, and I'll, I'll make sure I link to it because it's, it's fantastic. Great, nice. great story. And yes, Nitro is quoted throughout there. Uh, so you'll, you'll be able to catch up with him. Love it, my man. All right. Well, uh, it looks like they overturned that play at first base and uh, the Indians game is over. Five, four losers. Well, uh, hopefully they'll uh, turn it around tomorrow night. I'm going to be down there for the first time this year, taking the old man. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, nice. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, should be a good time. Um, probably a good place for us to stop, though, as well. So anything else that you wanted to get in before we get out of here? No, I think that does it. I didn't, we got into a lot there, so I'm good, I think. Did not expect to uh, get that far down into the rabbit hole on pro wrestling, but uh, we... Hey. Uh, we had the, we had the real estate to work with, so why not? Absolutely. All right. Well, um, everybody, as uh, always, thanks for listening, and you can uh, go subscribe to our show if you haven't already. We are on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play Music. Uh, go check out that American Gladiators uh, oral history from Sports Illustrated. I'm going to have on the Facebook page, and we should uh, be back uh, next week for Travis Uli. I am Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!